Turn with me in your Bibles tonight to the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. We're looking tonight in the 22nd chapter of the prophecy of Ezekiel. While you're turning there, let me uh, welcome a fine, handsome couple back here on the very back. And uh, I don't know, you folks look familiar. Have I seen your uh, picture in the post office somewhere? We're so happy to have you. Your brother and Mrs. Yes. I'm so glad you're here. God bless your heart. You and that, uh, those precious children of yours, we're glad to have you, brother, most forward. All right. Ezekiel chapter 22, and we'll look reading beginning at verse 23. Ezekiel 22 and verse number 23. This chapter is well as the preceding chapter is records the message of Ezekiel to uh, Jerusalem and primarily and especially to uh, the priest in the city by the name of Zedekiah. And here the prophet points out the terrible, terrible sins that were prevailing in Jerusalem. It was no longer considered a holy city. It was called a sinful city. And so uh, uh, there had come a great perversion of the purpose and, uh, for, uh, for Jerusalem and also a perversion of the plan that God had had uh, for Jerusalem as well as the people of Israel. Also, in this passage of Scripture, the prophet not only reminds the people of their sin, but he also announces severe judgment to come upon them. Now, there is only one result from sin, of sin, and that's judgment. The only way to escape that judgment eternally is to be forgiven of your sin, to ha have a new birth experience, to become a, a child of God. And our Savior took our wrath for us. But let me add something here, a message that I preached a long while ago. There are some things that forgiveness just does not do. It doesn't take away necessarily the consequence of our sin. That is, God forgives us of our sin. But there is a series of things that are set in motion when we sin against God. We are going to meet a payday sooner or later. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. The old illustration stands repeating the story of the man who gets drunk, goes down to a bar, gets in a barroom brawl, gets his eye knocked out, goes to church the next Sunday, gets under uh, conviction, and gets born again. God saves him and forgives him, but he doesn't give him a new eye. He'll go through life with that scar on him. And so sin always leaves its scar of one description or other. It may be emotional scars. It may be mental scars, things that we wish we could forget in our past life. But yet thank God for his wonderful forgiveness. But here the prophet is warning Israel of the consequence of sin, but also at verse 23 he's pointing out the, the terrible sins in the city. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, that is Jerusalem, 
Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed a difference between the unclean and the clean. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths. And I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood, to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with intempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. They, yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. I could entitle what thoughts I have for us tonight with the title simply, The Man Whom God Could Not Find. The verse tells us in verse 30 that after all of the corruption and the sin, both by the prophets, by the priests, and by the princes, that is the governmental leaders, and also the people, the Lord looked to find someone that would fill in the hedge, that fill the gap for someone to stand up for righteousness and for truth And would be, as another prophet said, the Lord looked for an intercessor and he found none to intercede. It reminds me too of the words of Psalm 12 and verse 1 where the psalmist cried, O God, the godly man ceaseth. There he's saying the godly have just seemed to vanish away. We look around us in our nation today and in our world and we see see things that are growing exceedingly worse. Sin is rampant in our country, as I said this morning. Robbery, thievery, lying, murder, violence, uh, sodomy, uh, immorality, you name it, and it's going on in our country. And yet God is aware of it all. But I'm so glad He is a merciful God. And I'm still thankful that there are a few people left in this countryside who still love the old-time religion. They love the preaching of the Word of God. They love to come to a place that stands, could I say, in the gap 
against the flood tide of an evil generation in which we live. And so then the Lord is looking for a man. And I I think of Moses who stood literally in the gap for the people of Israel. You remember after they had sinned so terribly against the Lord and the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to destroy him. And Moses begun to intercede and stand between uh, uh, Israel and the Lord's judgment. And do you remember this? The, the judgment of God was thwarted because one man stood in the gap. Now I believe the reason God's judgment has not already fallen on America is because there are few people who are still standing in the gap. There are still some people who believe the word of God and who want to live by its principles and practice its truth. I believe that that is the very thing that stands between this nation and God's judgment. I believe we can make application of God looking for a man. We can make application to someone to stand in the gap of our families, as well as our church, as well as our country. What kind of a man do you suppose God's looking for to do that? I believe in the first place God's looking for a man of commitment. A man of commitment. Now there are ten words in the scripture, in the New Testament at least, that's translated commit. There are two of them, one in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19 and John chapter 2 and verse 24. Let me ask you to read, for example, this verse in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. If you don't have time to turn there, listen carefully. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, here's the word, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. The word commit here simply means and can be translated lay down. Lay down, roll over, give oneself to to the keeping of the Lord. The keeping uh, uh, comes uh, as a result of uh, one's commitment. You know, the Lord cannot keep that that you don't give Him. You ever go to a hotel or a motel and they have a sign up there and the sign reads something like this. Your valuables uh, are not our responsibility unless they're placed in the motel safe. And so if you want to rest assured that nobody's going to break in your room and steal them, you have to commit that money or jewel to the keeping of the, of the management as they're placed in the safe. God has promised to keep us, and we, if we will lay ourselves down before Him, committing ourselves to Him, indeed, God has promised to keep that that we have given unto Him. I like people of commitment. I like folks who are committed to God's church. Regardless of the ups and downs, I'm glad they're committed. I admire people who are committed to their marriage vows when they make that commitment. It is a commitment whether it's up or down. I think of the Chicago Cubs baseball fans. If you've ever seen that crowd, I mean the Cubs could be losing 
They could, they could play a game of baseball and hadn't won a game, and the stadium is full. They come out. They back, their, they back those players. Now, I'm not so much a Cub fan, but I just want to use that as an illustration. Here people are committed. Man, they'll come out. Uh, they'll come out up there when the weather's even cold during the football season to watch the Bears. Boy, that's a good name for that outfit up there, isn't it, Brother Bill? Uh, in that cold country, uh, a fellow ought to be a bear. He'd have to be to survive. But what I'm saying is this, commitment, giving oneself to that very, uh, giving oneself over indeed to uh, another. Now, let me, let me add this. Bill and I was talking this afternoon over in the barn. There is a difference between decision and commitment. You, you ever get on one of these big jet airliners? You're taking off down the runway you're going. And that big old jet will get up somewhere to 150 to 180 miles an hour on the ground. But they cross a point of no return. That pilot has to not only make a decision to fly the plane, but he has to make a commitment when he's set, we're running down the, the, the runway and he's still on the ground. He comes to that point and he either has to take it up in the air or run it off the end of the runway and crack up somewhere. So what I'm saying, uh, that's what's needed in our lives. Not just a decision, but a commitment. Uh, a decision for a young couple when they say, we're going to get married. Well, don't only just decide, make a commitment. Commit yourself. Well, you know, things are not always going to go your way. Uh, things are not always going to be rosy. Your grave is not always going to be without lumps in it. Your rose is going to have some thorns on it. But when you've made a commitment before God, I mean, be committed. Lay yourself over I realize there are sometimes circumstances that are unavoidable and uh, it takes two to tango and when one decides to take off, there's not much you can do about that. But what I'm trying to tell you is we need men and women and young people who are committed. Committed. And then not only that, but I believe the Lord is looking for a man of conviction. Oh, what flimsy convictions if some people even have any today. They'll trot after anybody's wagon. Uh, they'll go after any, they'll run after anything in the country. If it has a religious tag on it, uh, the, the great majority of people run after it. And yet, how we need a conviction that is formed and based upon what Seth the word of the Lord. There's where our conviction ought to be. That old saying is, is worth repeating. If you do not stand for something, you'll fall for anything. A person has to firm up his conviction. And I don't know a better way to do that than to have a daily study of the word of God and come to an old Bible-believing church where the preacher yells your eardrums out and skins you from one end to the other and lets you go home kind of smarting over what is said. I believe we need, again, some old-time conviction. we got a lot of folks calling themselves Christians. They don't have a conviction where they go, what they do, 
how they dress, or could I say undress? They don't have a conviction about that. I believe God's people ought to look like God's people. I believe we ought to act like God's people. And that comes from a conviction, not because of the world around us is doing it, but yet because God has dealt with us and, and taught us in the Word and we have a conviction. That doesn't mean you look down your long pharisaical nose at somebody else that may do what you feel like you ought not to do. But it means that you're going to stand. It's not a prejudice. It's not an opinion. It is a conviction that we need that's based upon God's Word. Now there's the philosophy of today that many accept. The modern philosophy that says truth is merely relevant. In other words, they say, do the most loving thing under the circumstance. Do the most loving thing under the circumstance. That vain philosophy of the world and wound up in a ton of trouble in their own life spiritually as well as in their lives emotionally. The modern philosophy says there are literally no absolutes. You know, there's no real right and real wrong. It may be wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. Well, I've got news for you. If anything's wrong, it's wrong. I don't care who we are. If it's right, it's right. What we need to do is line our lives up with the plumb line of God's Word. And yet, men and women today are swallowing hook, line, and sinker the philosophy that there are no absolutes. Well, there are absolutes. There are absolutes in the world of science and in, in the world of physics, uh, in the world of biology, in the world of mathematics. There, there are definite absolutes. Beyond two plus two is four, I can't go. I mean, that's it. You don't change that. You can make them two bananas plus two bananas, and you've still got four bananas. You can put an, uh, a limit. There are absolutes. And God's Word are not mere suggestions. They're absolute truth. And so our convictions ought to be based upon the Word of God. Not only that, convictions ought to be held with compassion. Conviction, sure, but yet a loving spirit toward those who may not have that conviction. Uh, speaking the truth in love, Paul said. That's a kind of standing on the truth, having a conviction, but yet we speak it in love. Robert Murray McShane, a great English preacher of centuries past. Robert M Murray McShane perhaps led more people to Christ in his, er, in his few short years of life. Died in his early 20s. And yet McShane was a powerful preacher of the word but he had a loving compassionate man one day a young preacher met him and they struck up a conversation and McShane said to the young man he said what do you preach on this morning he said I preached on, uh, on hell and that the wicked are going there and McShane with tears in his eyes said and did you tell it with compassion did you say it you know it's one thing to tell a fellow he's going to hell and act like you're happy over it and another thing to tell him you're going to hell and cry about it. That makes a difference. 
And so convictions ought to be there, but yet held in real love. And a fellow doesn't have to be loud or harsh to have firm convictions. I mean, you don't have to bless everybody out, show them you've got some convictions. There ought to be some love in the heart, even with the conviction. Then I believe the Lord was looking for a man of courage, a person who would stand alone if necessary. I love the story of Martin Luther when during the Reformation some of his friends said to him, Martin Luther, don't you know that the whole world is against you? And Martin Luther said, if the whole world is against Martin Luther, Martin Luther is against the whole world. Here's a fellow who stood. He had a conviction. And yet with that conviction, he had great courage. I think of those great heroes of Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, the hero chapter to me. And yet in there, in, the, in those verses, you discover that those people of real committed faith, listen, they didn't let the pressures of the outside world cause them to detour. They stood true to the Lord with courage, even as they faced uh, the awful persecution, the heads being severed. Uh, put in dungeons, uh, uh, despised by, the, uh, by those of the world. They were men of courage. They stood true. Not only so, but I believe the Lord was looking for a man and is looking for a man today of character, a person of character. Now, your reputation is what people have said you may be, but your character is what you really are. That's what we are down on the inside. The measure of a man's character is what he would do if he thought nobody would ever know about it. That will reveal your character. What a fellow, what a girl would do in the dark thinking, well, nobody will ever know. I want to tell you it reveals a pretty, a pretty uh, sorry character. Now, you can, you can buy ready-made clothes, but you cannot buy ready-made character. It takes a lifetime to grow some character. And yet a lot of folks just want to snatch a little bit here and there. Uh, in certain situations, they want to buy a garment to change one's character. However, that man or woman's character has to be changed on the inside. What we are. And that's where it all begins. When the Lord gives us His life, the new birth, that very life of God, that'll bring about a change in character. And what, is, what we are on the inside, indeed, is worked out. It comes on the outside. I believe what a person really is on the inside, it'll leak out before long. Do you ever pour grease in a gourd? Man, you pour grease in a gourd and... It, you may not see it for a little bit, but sooner or later, uh, that uh, grease will come through that door. Man's character really is often revealed in, uh, 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 to others and even to ourselves when we get in hot water. Uh, you can take just a tea bag. You can hold that tea bag up. Uh, it hadn't, I mean, uh, you don't see much color. You drop it down in a cup of hot water and the whole cup of hot water will change in its color. 
So it is with you and me. We often get in hot water, and that's when the truth really comes out on us. Not only that, but I believe the Lord would look for a man who cares. A man who's not insensitive to the needs of others. I talked to you about that this morning. How Nehemiah was a man who cared. Cared enough to ask. Cared enough to weep. Cared enough to pray. And indeed, he cared enough to volunteer. He cared about what was going on. You know, some people have gotten to the stage in their life, they just don't give a rip. They don't care what's happening around them. They don't care what's happening to one member, uh, some members of the family. They don't care what happens to their neighbors next door. They don't care what happens to church. Doesn't make any difference to them. Oh, what a sad condition for a person to be in when all they think about and care about are them, is themselves. I believe the Lord looks for one who cares. And certainly I believe the Lord would look for one who communicates. God wants us to be able to communicate the message by lip as well as by life. A person who shares the message of Jesus Christ with those around them. In other words, I believe that's true even in the home. And I believe children look for a man to stand in the home. One who is concerned, one who cares, one who is compassionate. One who communicates. One who compliments as well. I think so. Terrible shame for a man to be so negligent and insensitive and never thanks his wife for all she does. Now, fellas, we might as well admit it. We can't keep up with them. Their pace is beyond me. But don't ever get the place you fail to thank her. Thank her for well, if, uh, thank her for the food she's put on the table. Thank her for looking nice. Compliment her about her hair. Compliment her any way you can find a compliment her. Uh, and a letter, who said that? <laughs> I know. But really, how, how insensitive we are. Not only that, but we need to communicate love one to the other. When you come in the evening, sir, don't run over, sit down in the chair and grab the paper. But at least don't do that until you run over to that wife, grab her, give her a bar hug, and planted one flat on her lips and tell her you love her. Listen, you'd be surprised what a woman will do if they know her, their husband loves them. Is that you saying amen, honey? Oh, it's my daughter-in-law. I'm glad. <laughs> but anyway... God looks for the right kind of person. God help us to stand in the gap. God help us be the kind of people that the Lord is looking for. May God help us to stand in the gap in these days. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this simple truth from thy word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of standing in the gap in our home our church and in our community thank you for our people who work at the plant the mill the office the schoolroom. they stand in the gap lord we just need a whole double dose of courage and conviction and i pray that you'll help us to be that committed person that alone you can use we thank you father for what you're doing in the midst of our people we pray that you'll keep us 
close to one another. Lord, forgive us sometimes when we grow so careless and wrapped up in ourselves, we fail to thank the folks around us who've been a blessing to us. Lord, may we encourage one another. May we be people that certainly care one for the other. Now, Father, if there are those here tonight in our audience that are unsaved, and they need you tonight, they need to be born again, oh, God, bring them to thyself by the working of your Spirit. And Father, if there are those here tonight who realize that they are a sinner, may they come hearing your call and responding to you. For those of us who are saved, may we surrender ourselves to be all that can be by thy grace, for thy glory. 